Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey, gang, you know, Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Bet Online has you covered all the news, scores, and the odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. You head to the website, betonline.ag, or you use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Hey, gang, so glad you're with us for this episode. Our guest was one of the finest center fielders in the game for nearly two decades. He was a two-time All-Star, five gold gloves, and a World Series champ. And Mark, your old teammate Steve Finley had more than 300 homers and 300 stolen bases. One of baseball's fascinating blends of power, speed, and instinct. Mike, uh, incredible center fielder, known for his defense first. But if you look at his career, you look at the numbers, over 2,500 hits, a third of those were extra base hits, a lot of triples. This was a guy that could impact the game, but he was constantly learning. And you know what was fascinating to me? He was always in better shape than anyone on the field. This guy could play the game and play center field better than most. Steve, in a 19-year career that saw you play for eight teams, we imagine it's got to be tough to pin down one signature moment. But let's start with one that fans, we think, will remember very well. October of 2004, you're with the Dodgers. Your team's clinging to a slim division lead, second-to-last game of the season, and you're playing the second-place team in the Giants. You're down 3-0, bottom of the ninth. Walk us through the events and your feelings in the dugout as you remember them, leading up to... And, of course, during that historic division clinching at bat. I have to almost back up uh, to two weeks prior to that. Uh, the team was kind of a relatively young team. at Robin Ventura, myself, kind of figured out we need to do a meeting here and kind of settle everybody down because uh, guys are starting to get tight. And this is not the time of the year in mid-September you want to get tight. And, and we just said, hey, this thing's going to go down to the last, you know, last weekend of the year. It's just guaranteed. We're too close with those guys. Look at the schedule. Just understand that it's going to go down to that part of the year. And we got to keep playing our game and, and, and just get after it. And everybody kind of started relaxing a little more. And, and, you know, I, I had a, I don't know if you call it a premonition or whatever. It was like, maybe I wanted it. I wanted to hit a walk-off home run off of Dustin Hermanson. And I just replayed it in my mind a thousand times all up into that point. It just like, it just stuck with me. I don't know why. Um, and fast forward to that ninth inning of, of, of that game, you know, we're down three, nothing. Uh, we got Schmidt who was awesome. You know, Cy Young candidate that year going on Sunday. And, and we were looking at, wow, this could end up running all the way down to a, a playoff game on Monday. And, uh, but we were never give up that, that week prior, we had come back from down five, nothing to the Rockies. Um, I think in like four of the last five, three of the last five games come down from multiple runs down in the ninth inning to win games. And so down three, nothing, we weren't even worried about it really. And, and it just started innocently, you know, guys getting on base and then an error by their shortstop, uh, created, the uh, kind of the momentum kind of shift, uh, Jason worth. I remember we got a huge base hit huge base hit to tie up the game uh, off of uh, Matt Hurges. Um, and I was up next and I was like, wow, this is it. I'm right here. This is the scenario that I wanted. Uh, but they brought in uh, a left-handed, the left-handed Wayne Franklin. And, uh, you know, curious enough, I had gotten his pitches on the series before. Uh, just, it was amazing. I, and I look back to the bench and Joey Cora was like, 
oh my god this is it this is it and uh and uh alex core sorry alex core and uh because i had given alex the pitches and he hit a home run off of him uh in their place so gate swung open i turned around and and looked at adrian belter and i was like don't worry dude just put your bat down this game's over and uh i walked all the way to home plate uh looking at the crowd taking in the moment because i was like this is what i've been thinking about for two weeks straight like being in this moment not thinking about hitting a walk-off home run but just like this is the scenario i'd been dreaming about being in a position to 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 win the division and uh uh i stepped into the box and and it was like everything was in slow motion. The second fastball came in. I just put a swing on it. And I knew the game was over. I knew it hit it well. The game was over. And uh, uh, seeing it go out of the ballpark, it just I remember floating around the bases. It was, uh, it was an awesome feeling. The crowd was so loud. And to be able to do that against our, our, our rival, the Giants, was, it was an amazing feeling. Do you remember all, all the events as you're rounding third base? Because I, I think that's the, the interesting aspect for our listeners to realize that, uh, you know, if, if you're on your team, uh, which I've been on the uh, on your on that side so many times that you're waiting at home plate f- for that reaction. What is it around third base that you remember most, and how you took all that moment in? I just remember high fi- high fiving uh, our third base guy, Hoffy, and uh, and then jogging to home and just seeing all the guys jumping up and down. And and I feel like I almost caught one of our players because <laughs> I, I was never a slow rounding the bases. I always got around them. And, and just seeing all the guys jumping up and down, I think, you know, the release of feeling is, uh, and a lot of fans don't really understand it, how the season is such stressful a moment. And when it goes down to that end, it's like a total release of emotion. And uh, everybody was jumping up and down. I just remember getting to the pile. I couldn't wait to get into the pile. Uh, uh, enjoying the celebration. Fins, uh, obviously the iconic home run of Kirk Gibson for the Dodgers is, is that that moment because of the, 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 the huge element of when it was in the World Series. But really uh, knowing that you have an impactful moment for an organization that has so much history, uh, the Brooklyn Dodgers coming back to, over to Los Angeles, how did that make you feel internally? Because you've gone through so much in your career go- leading up to that. But what did that feel like for you to do it in an organization in a uniform like that? Well, you know, I always wanted to play for a, a storied franchise. Uh, always did. And, I, and when the opportunity came to go to the Dodgers, uh, I, I was able to jump on it because I had no trade rights. And and I just I, I really took in the whole moment of what that was like for those two months I was there. Uh, and then to go and have a moment like that where it is impactful, we go to the playoffs. Been a while since they'd gone. Uh, uh, you know, I didn't think about it at the time, but then afterwards, uh, I was able to soak it in a little bit more. And 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 I was like, you know what? Nobody can ever take this away from me. I have a moment there that was my moment. Uh, it feels wonderful. I'll still get goosebumps every now and then. And Fins, you mentioned too that you had Wayne Franklin's pitches, right? And yeah. uh, that to me is is so interesting because uh, that's done a lot, and it's not talked about a lot when you're broadcasting a game. But you had the ability to take something that Wayne Franklin was was tipping. Uh, what was like? What what did you remember that you picked out, and how confident were you when you stepped in the batter's box? I got him when we were in San Francisco and I just kept watching cause we're in the, we're in the first base dugout. So he, when he comes set, he's set towards us and he just did this little shift with his glove, a certain angle. And when he did that, it was the fastball every time when he didn't do it, it was a slider. I don't know if he went gripping slider all the time. And then just went, when he shifted it, it went fastball. And I, and I grabbed Cora back off of the, 
off of the on deck circle. And I told him, this is what he's doing. Check this out. Check this out. And he saw it. He went up and he actually hit a home run as a left-hander off of Wayne Franklin in San Francisco. And uh, I studied video when they came into town. He was still doing it when he pitched in relief earlier in the series. He did it again. And so, um, you know, for me, I always watch it. And if you don't watch, you miss subtle things that pitchers are tipping. And so I watched every pitcher religiously, watch videotape all the time. And uh, uh, for me, it didn't take much to be very confident uh, that I knew what was coming. In that situation, it was blatant. Steve, between you and Tweens, we've talked about this before when we've uh, just shot the breeze over a beer. Is this the kind of thing, though, that you will then tell, say, Wayne Franklin or some other pitcher, maybe even after you retire, like, hey, did you know that we were seeing this with you guys uh, while you were playing? Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely, definitely. I remember telling Greg Maddox. I got Greg Maddox in uh, 98, uh, and we were playing them, and and I saw it, and I, and I went to go tell Tony Gwynn. He was like, you know how, la, 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 I don't want to hear it. I don't <laughs> yeah. want to hear it. He was batting like 9,000 you know, off of uh, Maddox anyway, and I went to Cammy. Oh, Cammy, this is what he's doing. This is what he's doing out of the stretch, and it was, it was perfect, and then I got a base hit on a, a double to drive in uh, Hitchcock, they walked Tony to get to Cammy, and Cammy took one of his changeups. It was about shin high and bounced it right back up the middle. He stayed on it, bounced it back in the middle for hit. Score me, we win the game 3-2. So if you're just paying attention, those things can be hugely impactful, especially in the postseason like that. And then, uh, But a number of years later, yeah, I did tell Max, hey, I had all your pitches. He's like, I knew I was doing something, but you know what? For him, it didn't really matter. You could have his pitches, and sometimes it didn't matter. But uh, for me, it mattered, and it mattered for us as the Padres then. You know, let's talk about that 98 year, the year that the Padres went to the World Series and you and Mark were teammates on that club. You had a grand slam then that Mark will tell me set the tone for your club as you move forward through the season. Walk us through that home run and whether you felt that particular significance at the time. Um, You know, it it was funny because... uh, uh, you know, it was our opening series. Uh, I think we were playing the Diamondbacks. Andy Benish outdueled uh, Kevin Brown for about seven innings, and then it went to the ninth, and uh, we were down four to two. And guys just kept grinding at bats, grinding at bats. And I remember uh, Kilby Overis. I mean, took a close call with two strikes, ended up walking. Uh, and Merv Redman runs up to the on deck circle and grabs it because I was struggling getting my foot down. Uh, and you know how Merv he just came and said, "Get your foot down. You'll be fine. Get your foot down early. Get your foot down early." And I was like. Okay, Merv, okay. And uh, so I went to the plate and I was like, okay, I'm going to practice this the first pitch just so I could see it. And I did it. And it was like, I felt like he rolled a 98 mile an hour fastball to home plate, like underhand. And I was like, wow, I really saw that ball good. And then uh, did the same thing again. This got ready really early, foot down, and then fastball right down the middle. And I didn't try to do anything but put a good swing on. I was trying to get a base hit. And uh, it just, you know, when a guy's throwing that hard and you make good contact, they go a long ways. Yeah, Fins, uh, Felix Rodriguez was the pitcher, and he was yep. dialed in. And you remember he went on a hot stretch uh, the the year before, and he was pitching this important part. But uh, I think '98 and and that signature moment that I told Mike was that we needed that as a team to kind of get your identity right. And we were grinding it out. You mentioned Kilvio Veras taking that borderline pitch. So many guys uh, it got involved with that inning. But as soon as that went out, it was like, okay, now we have Kevin Brown, we have Andy Ashby, we got Trevor Hoffman finishing games, obviously uh, the great Tony Gwynn. But that when it, that moment became, okay, now let's just let's just start winning series. And th- that 
team became special at that. What was your impression of that team after that moment? Well, it, and you're right. It's just kind of like a, a big sigh of relief. You know, we had our ace going against their ace and, and we were down and we, you know, we snatched victory from the jaws of defeat and it did. And we just kind of went on a run after that and, and really kind of exploded out of the gate for that year, which we really needed to, because it was a big year, not only for the franchise, they were trying to get the new stadium. Uh, I remember the owners telling us like, you know, we, we don't have, we don't, we don't need to go to the world series. We have to go to the world series. Uh, we really need this in this town. So we, we were, the pressure was applied to us and, and uh, you know, we kind of responded after that. And it was, it was, it was a, one, a great feeling to have that moment. And, and two, uh, that team was so complete. Um, you know, you just named it. We had Hoffy finishing it. We had Ashby, we had Brown. I mean, you go through the whole lineup there with Wally and Cammy and, uh, and Tony, it was, uh, and, and, and the greatest, let's not forget about the greatest, no trade in history of, you know, Bonnie was traded to the Yankees and they rescinded it. I mean, he has 50 home runs for us that year. So, uh, it was just one of those things where it was a different guy every night, you coming off the bench, uh, getting big pinch hits. Uh, it was just a really a complete team. And, and, and we just, we rolled right through it that year after that. So many people uh, on our podcast love the stories of, obviously, the elite players. Uh, when you start thinking about Tony Gwynn and being in that same uniform, does any story uh, resonate with you that he, the impact that he made on you as a player? Yeah, I remember my when I first got traded over, um, You know, I always went to spring training about a week early. I uh, just always wanted to get there, get my feet on the ground. And uh, so with the Padres, I... I, I Asked if it was okay if I went a week early, you know, to get in there and get, you know, get some reps in the cage. I was like, sure. Uh, so I went there. Tony was already there uh, in cage number one right there. And, and I introduced myself to him and, and uh, he was just hitting off his tee, you know, hitting off his tee. And we just started talking, hitting. And then he got me in the cage. He was, I want to see your swing. And we just started going over my swing. I had no clue how to hit. I hit as an athlete. I didn't understand mechanics. I just did it. And, and he started talking mechanics, why you want to get your foot down these different aspects of hitting that I'd never really heard the way he did it. And, uh, and then Merv Rettman shows up and Merv starts talking about, you know, uh, separating the swing and this terminology I'd never heard that I learned throughout the 2005 year. And, and so I always made it in the cage to talk to Tony about hitting and, and, and he really helped mold the hitter I became after that when I started driving the ball out of the ballpark and, and be able to hit for a better average, more solid contact all the time. Uh, so he, I really give Tony and Merv, Tony especially because he was doing it. Merv was talking the game, but Tony was actually the results and how it was working for him. And uh, uh, it was amazing what an impact that made on me as a hitter. Fascinating that you you mentioned Tony Gwynn, but also uh, to not minimize the impact that Merv Rettman, the hitting coach, had on you. Um, you mentioned earlier getting your foot down. That was a trait that Merv and a phrase that Merv pounded to everybody because it was important for you to not only get that foot down, but be aggressive with your swings. Uh, you guys spent numerous days, uh, me as a bench player coming out early onto the field just to look at the ballpark. And it would be you, Caminetti, Wally Joyner, and Tony Gwynn taking batting practice early uh, before regular batting practice. What were those moments like for you, uh, the connection with Merv Rettman, but also uh, the, those guys taking taking uh, batting practice and how important was that? Well, you know, I mean, especially for, you know, the few young guys we had on our team, you know, that, that the, work's, the work doesn't happen only at, at 
regular batting practice. Whenever you have anything you need to work on, Merv was always there. Uh, we'd get there early. And it just gave you a time to kind of relax without the timing of having to worry about you get five swings here. You can, then you could take like 15 or 20 swings straight and really work through any kind of issues or problems you were having. And, and then having, you know, Wally or Tony or, or, or Cammy sit there and kind of look at your swing because we're teammates and we see each other's swings all the time. And sometimes we see little subtleties uh, that could be happening and, and you trusted their word because they were veteran guys and they knew exactly what they were talking about. So between Merv and those guys, you could really iron out a lot of problems. And uh, uh, those are some of the best sessions I ever had as a, as, as a hitter. I still miss batting practice like that. I mean, that's <laughs> one of the areas I'm like early hitting was always so much fun. Chris Pearly White working on the swing on the open field, seeing where they go. Uh, uh, it was uh, it was one of my one of my highlights of my career being able to do batting practice like that. Uh, Steve, fans see a whole different game now with social media. Players are more reluctant sometimes to share that chemistry that we know goes into making a great ball club. The things that go on behind the scenes for you on that '98 team and Sweens and all the other guys you guys have been talking about. What was it like on a road trip, say Montreal, things that a fan wouldn't normally see that build that camaraderie that translates to wins on the field? I mean, it would happen on the bus, on the way to the hotel, from the way from the plane to the hotel. I mean, inevitably, Trevor would get up in the back and just start roasting, you know, telling jokes or roasting guys or talking about the last road, the homestand or, you know, and, and, you know, there was, and Sweens will tell you, you couldn't get one little pinky toe out of line of things that we all expected to happen in a clubhouse on a field without it being called out. And so, you know, you knew those bus rides were going to be, I'm going to get called out right here. I know I am. And <laughs> inevitably it happened and everybody laughed about it, but you know, you, it's the game kind of polices itself in our clubhouse. We kind of policed ourselves, and, uh, and it was always done in a very tactful, fun, funny most of the time way and and uh you know as much as you didn't want to get caught up in that you inevitably you did and you just had to roll with it and go with it because uh if you didn't uh it came back even harder at you so uh, you know we we had some great moments uh you know there'd be guys just hanging around afterwards i remember um i mean merv rapping myself and wally joiner and cam and Eddie would sit in the clubhouse and play bridge after games we played bridge for two or three hours and just talking baseball and 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 having a great time and it's amazing how many things can come out of those conversations uh, about the game itself, about things you're doing, where you're going uh, that really impact you as a player. And uh, uh, we did all those things. Guys would go out to eat dinner afterwards uh, on off days, play golf everywhere we could. Uh, you know, we were a team and, and you're 25 guys plus whoever the extra guys are around uh, that have to be with each other every single day for six months, actually seven and a half months, you include spring training. And so uh, uh those kind of teams like that where everybody hangs together, you tend to have a lot more success because you just know each other, not only as players, but as friends and off the field. And uh, it makes for a greater dynamic. Yeah. Fins, uh, you know, Bruce Bochy, our manager afforded us to be ourselves. Uh, he let us go, especially the veteran guys on that team, which I, I think everyone deserved to be that, but sometimes you don't get that atmosphere. Uh, uh, Mike brought up the Montreal aspect to it, it which is really funny for our listeners so we leave New York playing the Mets, and it was a night game. And we get up to Montreal at about 3 in the morning. So we have to land in a different airport. So these two buses pick us up from the plane, and it's it's so interesting <laughs> that uh, we are taken to try to go down to the Marriott um, in, uh, in Montreal. 
but our bus drivers are not from Montreal. They had no idea where to go. So we get lost and we're taking this trip around and we pass the same point a couple times. So all of a sudden, the aspect of what Finn's just talked about, where guys started laughing, joking around, having fun, but we were exhausted. It was three o'clock in the morning. But the whole bus ride became a joke because we couldn't find the city of Montreal or our hotel. So we stop off and we're in this uh, rural area of Montreal and this young kid is walking down the sidewalk and we picked him up and said, do you know where the Sheridan is? (laughs) The Sheridan is downtown. And he goes, yeah, I just worked downtown. I just got off my job. And he said, well, we go hop right in. So he gets on the bus that it's all players. So he takes us down and we finally get the bus drivers back in. It's probably four in the morning and we get there. And the interesting aspect is everyone on this team, and and we had so much fun going up to that. It was almost like uh, 12 o'clock in the afternoon after this whole bus ride. So the young boy was sitting next to Tony Gwynn in his seat, the first seat on the bus. And Tony turns around and says, all right, guys, pay the man. He deserves this. He got us to the airport. I mean, got us to the hotel. This young man ends up making over $2,000 because we everyone gave him money as we got <laughs> off, the, off the bus. It was the best night that he's ever had. Uh, it, it was incredible. But that was one of those moments. And why I tell that story is we had so much fun. We joked around. And uh, Brian Perlman, our our uh our uh, equipment guy and also did the travel uh took a lot of heat that night because yes, we he did right Vince? <laughs> but it's it's those molding moments that i think our listeners need to understand <laughs> that that brought our team closer together because we had fun in the rest of the time those bus trips just got funnier and funnier as we went along because we were winning games we were having fun and we realized man you just got to roll with the punches and that's the truth <laughs> you know, I would imagine, as you pointed out, guys, you're going through seven and a half months, basically, with the same guys. Plus, Steve, as you pointed out, you've got a little bit of added pressure because the ownership saying, hey, we need to get to the series. Well, you do get to the series. You run up against perhaps one of the best teams, arguably, of all time in the 98 Yankees, uh, and it doesn't necessarily go your way. What do you remember about how that felt when it was all said and done, was it a feeling of satisfaction or was there a sense of frustration? Take us back to that moment after the World Series. It was it was probably bittersweet. I mean that it was it seemed like it was on and then it was gone. You know, uh, I mean from from you know that first game in New York, whenever we had a lead, and then uh, the Tino Martinez pitch, it was basically down the middle. Uh, strike Tino's walking away to a grand slam on the next pitch. And, uh, that kind of took our wind out of our sails. And then they kind of, we got back home. We thought, okay, let's get back home. And it, it just didn't work out. And it seemed like anything and everything we tried just failed. And, and I don't know if that's because we just didn't have, weren't clicking or the Yankees were just that good and they had everything rolling their way. So, uh, a bit frustrating, a bit deflating, but I thought also very cool that our fans stayed there and wanted us back out on the field to thank us afterwards. I think, I think that lifted a lot of us up and our spirits up to say, you know, it wasn't that bad as much as we feel bad that we got beat in four games against the Yankees. Um, 
these fans really appreciated our run that year and everything we did for the city in that year. So I think that we walked away from that series not feeling as bad as we could have thanks to the fans. Yeah, I, I agree with that, Fins. Uh, I, I think it was uh, – we went back into our locker room, and it, it's a somber moment to take it in. Uh, second place is not fun. Um, even though I think our fans made it feel like, you know what, we we achieved something greater. Beating the Atlanta Braves is probably our World Series, in my opinion. Uh, but I think the aspect, too, and I'd love to get your take on this, is that uh, it was set up to to have a parade. Uh, we're sitting on Corvettes going through the, the city of San Diego. What was that like for you, uh, the appreciation that you had? Because you were a huge part of that club. I think, you know, when you when they say that we're going to have a parade, I mean, our first reaction was like, yeah, but we got second place. Why are we going to have a parade? But then we thought, you know, this is for the fans. The fans want to show their appreciation. There was, you know, 70,000 people that, was at, that were at the game. There's probably another couple hundred thousand, few hundred thousand would like to show their appreciation. So um, it was great. It was fantastic. And it really helped, uh, I think, bridge that gap to losing the series to see, you know, what an impact it did make on the city going to the World Series that year. So uh, it was awesome. It was awesome to see the fans. And I said, you almost felt like you did win. And, you know, we did. We got second place. There's only two teams playing at the end. But it was a great feeling seeing all the fans, the kids out, you know, waving Padres banners, wearing Padres stuff, and really, you know, cheering us on like we did win the World Series. Hey, gang, it's time now to make your outdoor experiences a lot better with Canaan. Canaan sunglasses are made exclusively with polarized lenses for optimal clarity, and they're made with Japanese optics. So what do you get? Well, you get clearer, lighter, and stronger lenses. And you also get Italian handcrafted frames that are impossible to scratch. Use the exclusive code CANANCAST15 at Canaan.com to receive 15% off your first pair. That's CANANCAST15. CANANCAST15. Canaan, clearly better. Stevie, that was 98. You were 33 years old. Let's spin the clock back. We've called Major League Beginnings here for a reason. So let's go to your beginning. Uh, 1989, you're 24 years old. You were a 13th round pick. And in that year, you make the opening day roster for the Baltimore Orioles, a team with a Hall of Fame manager and Frank Robinson coming off a tough year. What do you remember about being told you made the team and how you reacted at the time? It was uh, it was actually pretty funny. Um, Frank was always kind of a jokester. I mean, I didn't really know that at the time. I was a young kid. I got invited to come to camp. Uh, I'd won the AAA batting title, but didn't get called up to the big leagues. It was only my second year of playing. They had to protect me under a roster. So I had to wait until the next year. I played winter ball. They said, hey, we're going to invite you to big league camp. Great. Get to camp. Brady Anderson's there. He came over from Boston. They said, we're only going to keep one of you guys. So Brady and I said, let's make a pack. Let's make them keep us both. And we both had great spring trainings. Uh, got down to the very end and it's, it's pink slip time. Guys are getting sent out on the, like right before they're going to break camp. And uh, I remember getting called in. I'm like, okay, here we go. I'm like, I'm going back to triple a uh, Frank's going through the most sit behind the table. You know, Hey, we really appreciate everything you've done. You played so well this camp. I mean, he just, I mean, I'm just sinking slower and slower in the seat. You know, he just said, I, I just wanted to, let you know that uh, you should probably go call your parents and, and let them know you're going to the big leagues. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> I said, what? He said, yeah, you're going to the big leagues. You're going to break the club with this stuff. You've earned it. Uh, now go out there and call your parents to have them get to Baltimore. And I, I ran out of there. I was just like, I remember leaning up against the wall after I walked out of his office and just like smiling from ear to ear. 
and straight to the phone and call them and uh, parents to get them to Baltimore. And Fins, uh, you go into the locker room and yes, you're in spring training. You're with all the guys. I think that uh, breaks the ice, but uh, the realization of going into a big league locker room and seeing your name and your Jersey hung up in your locker. What was that moment like for you? Uh, it was amazing. I mean, uh, I, I got there and I mean, you're just, I've never been to Baltimore before, never been in a big league clubhouse anywhere. And uh, uh, just seeing my Jersey there hung out there um, with Cal Ripken over here. Cause they kind of had it numerically ordered. And, and I was like, wow, this is, this is pretty amazing moment. Um, and then I see the lineup and I'm batting third. I'm like, Holy cow, I'm batting third now. And Cal, they move Cal to fourth. Uh, I have a picture picture on the wall um here at the house work is on opening day and cal's up you know i waited on the on deck circle i don't know what happened and cal made his way up there and i'm swinging to, and I, and he's leaning over to me he goes how you feeling i was like i'm not nervous is there something wrong with me he goes i'm nervous as hell <laughs> i got butterflies <laughs> everywhere he goes there is something wrong with you get to the plate <laughs> hey uh fins and, we also we also know that uh, you, you listen, we, talk, we, we talked about Tony Gwynn and playing with an impactful guy. It's interesting. Both he and Cal Ripken go into the Hall of Fame the same year. What was your favorite story of Cal Ripken uh, thinking about back to those times? Oh, man, I tell you, uh, Cal Ripken uh, would sit, I mean, we went on the road because we were Cal Ripken and a whole bunch of rookies that year. Uh, and Billy Ripken was there, his brother playing second. Um, and we weren't allowed to leave the clubhouse. We had to sit in the clubhouse. Cal would have a few beers after every game. Uh, Budweiser, not Bud Light, Budweiser. <laughs> and uh, we'd all sit around, have beer, and he'd talk shop for two, three hours. Sometimes we wouldn't leave till 2 o'clock in the morning, uh, sitting there talking baseball. And, and he really taught me to learn positioning. And he made me take control of the center field whenever I play with Baltimore. And he would always get with me before the game. Like, this is how we're going to play this guy. This is how we're going to play this guy. Make sure you're moving these guys. So he was my mentor as far as learning to control everything around me. And don't let anybody tell you any different. You're the, you're the boss out there. You control them. You move them where you want to. you got to take charge. And he did that in the infield. He would sometimes turn around the outfield to have me move because uh, he saw something that he needed. He wanted to shift everybody. But – you know, we learned a lot of those things to sit in the clubhouse and talking after games, you know, something that doesn't happen as much anymore. Uh, but I think it's such an important part of the game that, that if you're not doing those things, uh, young players are really missing out. Stevie, correct me if I'm wrong. You make your debut with uh, with the team, as we talked about, uh, against Boston and you got hurt. And the way I read it is you don't pick up your first hit till later in April. I can't imagine yep. how frustrating, if that's exactly what happened, how frustrating that stretch must have been for you. But do you remember the first hit you got? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, my first at bat off Roger, I missed a hanging slider. I was so mad. The third inning of that game, I slammed into the wall and separated my shoulder, so I was done. So I was I was reliving the hanging slider for three weeks, and it was driving <laughs> me crazy. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was uh, Fred Tolliver. Probably nobody knows Fred Tolliver. And I got all of it. I, I spun, I got all of it and it hit about maybe a couple inches below the label. It broke my bat so smooth. It felt like it hit the meat of the bat and it just sailed over the second baseman's head right into the outfield and, and right between for the right fielder. And that was it, you know, first hit right there. 
couple days later, you get yesterday. your a couple of days later, you get your first home run against the Angels. That one must have felt a little different. I'm assuming the bat didn't shatter. No, that one didn't shatter. Yeah, I was uh, Frazier, uh, Willie Frazier, the, the split ball, split split finger guy with the Angels. It was in Angel Stadium, uh, uh, right down the line, right down the right field line. Uh, Fence, did you have a favorite ballpark uh, that you that you that resonates with you when you when you think of all this stuff and and taking it all in? Did something really stick out to you that uh, that you absolutely loved about a particular park? I love Wrigley Field. I like Wrigley Field was uh, one it, just the history of history of, of walking down those tunnels down into the dugout. Um, the the field the field the fans were right on top of you especially in the outfield. I mean you called a lot of grief but it was it was fun grief. I mean there's every now and then you have to turn around and tip their hat to them like that was a good one. Uh, but it was uh, just the feel of that stadium. It was great. How about uh, collecting cards? You you you're going through your rookie year and you get your first rookie baseball card. Do you remember what that was like when you first saw it? And and how did you handle uh, baseball cards? Uh, yeah, every year they would give us our our you know every every uh, card company would give us a little set of our cards, you know, so we could keep. And I've just put them in boxes all these years. And you know, I've gone back and looked. I think my first one, I was thinking, man, I need to get some sun. They should have waited later in spring training to take that picture because I was really really pale. <laughs> Steve, you're from a small town in Tennessee too. Were you? Uh, did you grow up thinking you were going to be a big leaguer? Who'd you Who'd you watch? Who were you a fan of? I get that question all the time. And it's funny. I was like, I never watched baseball. Never. I didn't, I, I knew it, it, it was existed. Major league baseball. I would watch sometimes on a Saturday if it was raining. Cause that's the only time we had games Saturday. And then sometimes Monday night baseball. Um, but I was never inside. I just, I never, my first big league game I ever went to uh, my friend uh, had an extra ticket. And then my dad said I could go with him to the seventh game of the world series in 82 uh, with the Cardinals. I was a junior junior in high school and uh that was my first game i got world series dirt and i kept it forever in a little jar because uh, everybody rushed the field and we waited and went down there finally got a little dirt and thought that was pretty cool yeah. but uh, i never watched anybody i didn't i i i first started watching when i went to collegiate i broke my leg so i was forced to be on the couch all summer and i watched the the chicago cubs on wgn during the day uh and the braves at night because on WTVS, and mm-hmm. that was when I started watching baseball and uh, started following guys, you know, like Dale Murphy, and then you had, uh, I think it was, I can't remember the guys with, uh, I think, Ryan Sandberg, and uh, you had uh, Lee Smith was closing, I think, for Chicago back then. Uh, it was just, it was cool watching them. And Fins, when you started playing, you were in your, involved with your career, were there any players that you just were like, man, I, I just love watching him play. I, I, I like the way he goes about his business today would stick out in your mind, man. I got to go back and think now. Wow. Um, you know, when I, there was one guy that I just, I love watching play and he just, he made things look easy was uh, Vladimir Guerrero. When he came on, I know I was a little bit more in my career, but when he came on, I remember him. I don't know if you remember this, him facing Kevin Brown in Montreal. Oh yeah. And he took a Kevin Brown pitch that I thought was going to hit him in the chest. And he hit it for a home run down the left field line. I'm like, I have no idea how he hit that ball. Then Kevin Brown throws him a slider about a foot and a half off the plate outside his next at bat. And he hits it off the right field wall. And I was like, who is this Superman at the plate? It was ridiculous. And he had everything in the middle too. I mean, it didn't matter how high, how low. Um, it was amazing. But, you know, if I go back even further, uh, Kirby Puckett, 
love watching Kirby Puckett play. And uh, he used to always come up and talk to me as like, I was scared to death to talk to him. But he always come up and talk to me in Minnesota. But we always stretched out there. And then you would just hear this sound come off the bat like, oh, Kirby's hitting just a different sound off the bat. Uh, but he was always happy and always just put himself in the right position, always talking the game. Beth, did he give you advice as a young player? Or was it more just social? It was more social, uh, you know, no, 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 definitely no playing advice, but it was just social about how to interact with other players. And uh, uh, he used to call me out every time. And finally, it's got to the point where I went straight over to him the first time I saw him <laughs> and hey, Kirby, how you doing? And and so it just forced me to be a little more uh, outgoing. And and he really, I, I really, he made me realize that was OK to do that. Sitting back and not saying anything was the wrong thing to do. So I became more social with other players when I would see him going up and saying hi. I'll tell you, having uh, the opportunity of worked in that market, there's very, there are very few players more beloved in Minneapolis, Minnesota than Kirby Puckett. A shame that uh, we lost him as young as he he was uh, when he passed. Let me ask you this: uh, when we talk about the emotion of the game, whether it's your relationship with players, uh, fans, front office. Oftentimes, there are turning points for players when they're traded. Uh, you're traded in 91 from Baltimore to Houston uh, for Glenn Davis, who the Orioles thought was going to provide power. That didn't pan out. seemed to work out better, perhaps, for the Houston end. And then you're traded again in 94 to the Padres. Big six-player uh, deal, Astros to the Padres. You and Caminiti head over to San Diego, and they get back a haul. How did any of those trades impact you personally? You know, the first one, I really thought I was going to be in Baltimore for a long time. I, I loved it there. Um, that one was the, probably the strangest feel. Um, I didn't really know how to feel about it. When I saw Schilling and Harness were going, I was like, okay, I got some teammates going with me. Uh, I didn't know anything about Houston. Uh, but I knew I was going to the National League, and, and uh, I knew I was going to get to play in St. Louis then, and, you know, family around there. So uh, that part of it was kind of cool. And when I saw the team, and where they were trying to, what they were trying to build, uh, you know, with Biggio, Bagwell coming in, Caminiti, myself, we had Luis Gonzalez, uh, Greg Swindell, Doug Drayback on our pitching staff, uh, and Daryl Kyle. Um, we we had it. We had a team. And Schilling was one of our bullpen, but then he wanted to be a starter. Houston, for some reason, didn't want him to be a starter, so they shipped him off to Philadelphia. The rest is history on that one. But uh, you know, that was a fun time. But then when I got traded from from Houston, I, I was ready to leave Houston. Uh, I was kind of, uh, I don't know why I was just like, I, I, they were talking about Boston. I was like, Oh great. I get to go to a big market team. I was kind of excited about that. And then I got the news and, the, and I think it was like right after Christmas. And first thing I asked was like, who's going with me? Cause I want to know if there's some teammates going with me. Like San Diego is like an amazing, amazing climate. And when I saw Caminiti was going and, and I think it was Cedeno, um, a number of guys uh, that went with us. And I was like, wow, this is going to be a good team. And uh, when I got there that year, I was like, I was so happy to be a part of the Padres organization at that point. Fins, uh, I mean, I think you realize that it's a team concept game, but you have some personal success and, and you go to two all-star games, which was really interesting. One with San Diego and that's in Cleveland. The other one is with the Arizona Diamondbacks in Atlanta. Uh, any one of those stick out in your mind? And, and what was that experience like? Uh, it was it was incredible, you know, to to be in the clubhouse and you look around talking about the jerseys on the wall, uh, you know, you you feel kind of small. Like these guys are like all amazing players, and and now I'm included with them. Uh, uh, it felt pretty cool, and uh, you know, I I, I remember, uh, you know, it was in Cleveland was the first one. 
I was still a little bit in awe. The second one, I was a little more relaxed and 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 kind of enjoyed it probably a whole lot more. Uh, I ended up getting the hit off of uh, Mariano Rivera, uh, which which helped me down the line facing him. I learned something on having that at bat off him, which was really cool for the World Series and stuff like that for 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 two thousand and one. Uh, but. It was a it just being in that clubhouse with those guys. It's like, well, I'm I'm in this in in this part in this part of the game now, and it feels really good. Fins, you, you mentioned Mariano Rivera, two thousand one. Uh, I think this is probably the culmination of a great career that you're putting together. And uh, I, I think of Louis Gonzalez. I think of the last hit. Where were you? Your reaction to that that game winning hit, and how great that moment was for you. Well, I, I, I'll back up to the eighth inning when he was getting loose after uh, Soriano hit the home run. And I remember the attitude uh, when Gonzo came over, whenever Danny Bautista came over, we're like, we're getting him this time. I mean, it was, we didn't we said a lot more words that I can't repeat right now, but we're getting him this time. He is not beating us. And when we got back to the to the to the dugout, that theme was resonated with everybody, not stoked by us coming in the dugout. It was everybody was saying the same thing at the same time. We're getting him this time. We're getting him. So. Uh, it, we didn't know how we were going to do it. We just knew we were going to do it. And then, uh, you know, the, the bad of that game was, was um, you know, one Mark Grace, who was the perfect guy to have up, inside-out guy. But Tony Womack. Tony Womack is one of those hitters, left-handed hitters, that the ball can look like it's going to hit him in the ribs, and it's going to he keeps it fair down the right field line. And we just were all sitting there in the bench looking, going, pitch him inside. They kept going out of way. We're like, no, no. And then finally, he had two strikes on him after fouling off a couple of pitches. We saw Posada set up inside. We we're just like, "This is it! Yes, 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 yes!" And boom, he hits a double down the right the right field line. And 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 then at that point, we knew we we're winning. Uh, and uh, when Gonzo got the hit, uh, we saw the infield in. We was like, "That's perfect." Uh, Gonzo ball left his bat. I don't remember hitting the ground all the way to home plate. <laughs> There's a picture of Mark Grace and I running out to, to meet the pile after we went to home plate first. He's got his arm around my neck, like dragging me running like this. Neither one of us remember the picture. Somebody showed us he got this picture. I have it on the wall at home. And as he goes, I, I, I have no, I didn't even know that was you. <laughs> he goes, <laughs> and so there's a lot of moments like that for everybody. Uh, when that, when that, that hit fell. Uh, uh, just the amazing feeling of winning the World Series is just like the best feeling you hope every baseball player gets a chance to feel. You know, Mark had made an interesting point there where he says it's kind of the culmination of your career, but you're in the moment. And at that point in 2001, you're 36 years old. Did it have particular significance because it happened for you a little later in your career than per se for a guy who it might happen in their early 20s thinking they'll always be back to the table? Well, I remember Cal Ripken uh, told me, I think he won the World Series in his first year. Uh, and really, I don't know if he ever got back again after that. Came close a couple times. I don't think ever got back to the World Series, maybe one time. But uh, so, yes, we had a team full of guys at that point that were late in their careers on that 2001 team. And it was especially important for all of us. And I think it was definitely more satisfying to have it at the end of the career. Fins, uh, I'll remember this like it it was yesterday because there's impactful messages that you always have through your career. And Tony LaRusso said to me, it never gets old popping champagne. And why I say this is that you 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 figured that out in 1998 with all of us. And we, we had plenty of t- things to to share and and uh, and toast. 
but winning the World Series, can you take us into that locker room when you did have that bottle of champagne and toasting with all of your teammates and what that was like? You know, it was just, a, 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 I think, a, a release of stress of wanting this from so many guys. I mean, you could go through that whole list of players in that clubhouse there. Matt Williams, Randy Johnson, Mark Grace. You know, the list goes on and on and on and on. Kurt Schoen had never won a World Series. You know, myself, Luis Gonzalez, none of us had ever won a World Series. And so when you get that moment, it's, it's, you know, the feeling when you win the division, how nice it is. And then go on through the playoffs, but to get that final one. And then you kind of the final thing for so many of us are so late in our career. Uh, that celebration didn't stop all night. We just all went all night. And I woke up at six o'clock in the morning or from going to bed at a probably about four or five o'clock in the morning. I grabbed the paper like, okay, yes, we won. We really did it. We won. <laughs> this happened. You know, and then I was wide awake, and then the rest of the day, I think for two weeks straight, it was riding a high. Uh, it's unbelievable. You know what, Stevie, 19 seasons. Uh, we've talked about this before. Only 10% of big league players ever play 10 years in the big leagues. You almost 20. A lifetime 271 hitter, 304 home runs, 320 stolen bases, five gold gloves. You were, in many ways, the quintessential outfielder. Could hit, hit for power, run, defense, all there. Is there a facet of your game when you look back that you were most proud of? Uh, probably my defense, you know, you know, my, my, my career offensive wise was just kind of two different careers and you could intersect it whenever I came to San Diego prior to that, you know, for my first seven years, my first year in San Diego, I was learning what Tony and Merv were teaching me prior to that. I mean, uh, all my managers, uh, Frank Robinson just pounded in my head. Every time I hit a ball in the air and BP, put it on the ground, get it on the ground, run, use your speed, bunt, bunt, bunt. So, um, that part I'd learned how to do, but I learned how to hit for power. The second half of my career was power, but defense was always my most consistent. And I always believed that if I could play great defense, um, no matter how bad I was hitting, I was going to get a chance to go out there in the field and work through a slump. Yeah. It's interesting. You say that fins, because if someone asks me, Hey, uh, describe Steve Finley. I always think of 1998 because you had some great moments in 1998 offensively. But I can always say defensively, you won games for us in center field. So many people kind of gravitate towards Andrew Jones as that center fielder. I would take Steve Finley over anybody in the game of baseball in center field because of how you handled it. I have a vision in my mind of you jumping on the warning track into those soft fences at Qualcomm and being able to ricochet your, your whole body, but laying out, but also fins. I always think of that final out in, in, in uh, Atlanta when, when that's, that's the moment that you did, but you took a lot of pride in the defense. Uh, Was there anybody that stuck out that gave you advice as a defender that, that really turned your whole career around? Um, and I appreciate the comment, Mark. I really do. It's uh, that I took a lot of pride in my defense. And, 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 you know, when I talked to Andy Ashby down, we always talk about, yeah, Ben's saved me so many games and, you know, it's something I didn't think about. I just did. Uh, but it, it's nice when it's talked about in that regard. Um, you know, we had, we had a, uh, and I can't remember his name right now. Uh, we had a gold glove 
ex-gold glove outfielder that was teaching us in the Orioles and the minor leagues. And, and my college, go back to my college coach. My college coach could hit balls just out of my reach. He was a master fungal guy and really taught me how to learn to go dive and use my body and come in on balls. And the guy with the Orioles challenged me to play shallow and teaching me angles going back. You know, so it was always about angles, positioning. And then Cal Ripken taught me how to read hitters. You know, watch how they're watch how they're attacking the ball. Watch where the pitch is in the low in the zone because you can see those things from center field. And and you know, when you start paying attention to those things, he goes, pay attention to it in BP. Watch it. Watch how guys stroke the ball in BP. Watch where it hits on their bat. I mean, breaking it down into smaller and smaller aspects. And eventually, that just translates into your game out there where you don't have to think about it. It just happens on an automatic basis. Uh, then you have scouting reports. Uh, you're always reading those. And so Cal really, really, you know, had guys that taught me the mechanics. And then Cal really kind of pushed the uh, really pay attention to the game during the game, watch, look at the scouting reports and get the tendency of the hitters. So you can actually nail that down and, and then take charge in the outfield, make sure you're moving these guys left and right, know where everybody is all the time, make sure they know what they're doing. And uh, it just gave me a sense of, 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 of I don't know, uh, controls the wrong word. It's, it's ownership of center field. That if I can do my job out here, I'm going to make these guys' jobs easier. We're going to catch more balls. We're going to win more games. I can't argue with the results, Steve. 19 seasons, two All-Star games, five Gold Gloves, and the 2001 World Series championship with the Arizona Diamondbacks was a heck of a run. And from all of us, thank you for what you did on the field. Thank you for the kind of guy you are, and thanks for the time today. Hey, guys. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. Anytime for you guys, I can talk baseball to the cows come home. Well, folks, thanks for checking out Major League Beginnings presented by Bet Online. And if you had as much fun as we did, please go ahead, hit the subscribe button anywhere you usually download your podcast from. You pick the platform, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, whatever you like. We're just glad to have you aboard. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.